All right, good morning, everyone. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Psalm 34, Psalm 34. We're going to uh, cover just uh, one verse today, that'll be verse eight. Um, and I hope that our time together um, in this verse will be meaningful and glorifying to our Lord. But, but as you turn there, I want to go ahead and just kind of give you uh, the general structure of um, this morning, kind of where I'm going. Um, since, like Mary Beth said, our, our uh, fall series doesn't begin until September, I'm going to take a little bit of a liberty here. Uh, what I would like to do is I'd like to read just um, this one verse, Psalm 34, 8. I'd like for us to, to pray together. And then what I'd like to do is just to give you a little bit of uh, background information about myself very quickly and then transition into a time of just where I've seen God's faithfulness in, in my life um, and then come back to Psalm 34.8 and just for me to give you a couple of points that I've seen in my life um, and how this verse resonates with me um, so that you can leave here um, with... Um, God's word fresh on your minds and, and on your hearts. Um, I think we can get all that done. I think we can handle that. And I think we can get all that done before Dr. Yusuf prays for us this morning. So that's my hope. So um, in honor for God's word, would you stand with me as we read Psalm 34, verse eight, and then I'll pray for us. And then you guys can be seated. Psalm 34, verse eight, eight says this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Let us pray. Father, your word speaks true in our hearts this morning. And Father, I pray that this truth would resonate in our lives this morning. God, that you are good. And that it is a blessing to taste and to see your goodness and to find refuge there. And I pray this morning, God, that your words would resonate in the hearts of your people for your glory and for the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. So a little bit of background information about myself. Um, I'm originally from a small town called Monticello, Georgia. It's southeast of Atlanta. So if you've heard of Covington or Conyers area, you just keep going, okay? Um, little town called Monticello, Georgia. Um, it was such a small town uh, that the only fast food chain there was a Dairy Queen. That was the only fast food, literally the only fast food chain, okay? In fact, that was my first job. And a lot of um, high schoolers, that was their first job, was to work at Dairy Queen. Lots of good memories there. Um, my, my parents, my four siblings, and myself uh, loved Monticello. In fact, I was there yesterday, and, and I took a different way uh, to get to Monticello. Um, my brother's getting married uh, in September, and so we had a little... Um, um, banquet thing for him and his fiance. And I took a different way into Monticello than normal. And I, I just 
passed by and I was like, ah, oh, man, I remember playing baseball over there. And I remember um, my, you know, getting my first flat tire over here, right? And that kind of thing. And it was just a, a wave of just remembering um, Monticello. It, it was just crazy. Anyway, um, I graduated from Piedmont Academy with my twin brother, Taylor, in 2008, um, with, along with about 30 other seniors. Um, and then I proceeded to go on to Toccoa Falls College in Northeast Georgia. Many of you probably have heard of that. Um, there's a big waterfall there. Um, at Toccoa, I majored in biblical studies and minored in biblical languages. Also there, I played collegiate baseball for a few years, and I met my wife, Allie. Um, after graduating from Toccoa in December of 2011, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky to begin seminary at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary there. Um, Allie and I were married in June of 2012, and we stayed in Louisville for another year. But we missed Georgia. Both of our families are in Georgia. Like I said, mine's in Monticello. Hers is just west of here in Hiram, Georgia. And we missed our families and we knew we wanted to start having children. And so I began looking for a job back in Georgia. Uh, with a little bit of seminary education under my belt, I, by God's grace, um, accepted a job at North Cobb Christian School. Um, in Ackworth, Kennesaw. And I've uh, been there uh, for about five years. Um, I taught primarily middle school Bible, um, varying in, gr in grades, sixth and seventh and eighth grade, most recently eighth grade. And I focused in, in teaching theology and hermeneutics. Um, just recently, I became the Bible, middle school Bible department uh, chair there. I, um, with my team, reconstructed our middle school Bible program, um, and, and I coached a variety of sports in the, at the JV and middle school uh, level, including baseball and football. Um, many of you have seen my four kids running around. Um, Allie and I have four children. The oldest of them is four. Um, so... Elam is a four-year-old. He's the social butterfly. He will be your best friend, okay, as soon as you meet him. Um, Truett is about to turn three. He's a little, he's a little shy. He's got blonde hair, but um, he loves to do whatever his brother is doing. Um, Ailey is my one-year-old, my only daughter, uh, and she is a daddy's girl, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And then our... Uh, Smallest is Weston. He's four months old, and he is the chillest four-month-old you will meet. Um, each of them have their own unique personalities, and each of them are a joy to their father. My interests include coffee, amen, uh, playing disc golf because real golf is way too difficult, watching Atlanta sports teams, mostly Georgia Tech lose, and Atlanta United win. Okay, uh, I enjoy listening to a wide variety of music and podcasts. I am terrible at Fortnite and Clash Royale. My wife makes me watch, net, uh, sorry, makes me watch musicals on Netflix and chick, chick flicks. And I make her watch all the Marvel movies and comedies. So we balance each other out there. 
Just recently, I transferred to an online seminary program through Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where I'm trying to finish my Master's of Divinity with a concentration in biblical languages, currently taking two classes, Baptist History and Church Administration. And I'm just so thankful just for the opportunity that God's given and provided in furthering my education through there. Now, that's a little bit of background just of where I'm coming from. But as I look back on, on my story and look back at Monticello and you know, college and, and where I am now, I can truly proclaim the, the truth that we have read in Psalm 34, 8, that God is good. I've seen this in a variety of ways. I've seen this in the fact that, like many of you, I, I, I grew up in, in a home where the gospel was common. I grew up being a member of a church that loves the gospel and ministers to my family. I've seen this in having my needs met, provisions met. I've seen this in my wife and in my children. But I would say that most importantly, I have seen the goodness of God in how he sovereignly worked to call me to himself and how he regularly sanctifies me on a daily basis. Like I said, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, my parents regularly took us to church and it seemed like we were involved in every children's program that our small Southern Baptist church offered. Most explicitly, um, I don't know if you guys would remember this, but maybe some of the adults, Awanas. Okay, I did Awanas from as early as I can remember. and. And to be totally transparent, I did Awanas with my siblings and we were super competitive. Who can memorize the most verses? Who can pass the most sections? And, and we just kind of thrived under that. We, we memorized as much as possible. Now, um, my motives were not pure there in the sense that I memorized those scriptures and I learned those truths not to grow closer to God, but to actually earn enough Awana bucks or points so that I could buy the newest Toby Mac CD or to get that new t-shirt that has some sort of cheesy Christian saying on it. Okay, you guys have seen those, I'm sure. That's my motive. I wanted that cheesy t-shirt as a fifth grader. Oh, God bless. Um, but though my motives were skewed, God is faithful. And God used those verses, that process in my life. God's word does not return void. And my life is an example of that. You see, as a 12-year-old boy with a brain full of memory verses, I realized by God's gracious opening of my eyes that I was a sinner dead in my trespasses, and I needed a savior. By God's gift of grace and faith, I confessed of my sin, repented, and submitted to the lordship of Christ, and, and like a good Baptist, was baptized there shortly after. Once I reached high school, uh, my family and I began to attend another Baptist church. Um, we had heard in that area of um, a youth pastor that 
was just well known for faithfully teaching the word of God. Um, he wasn't a flashy guy. He wasn't super you know, charismatic, but he faithfully taught the word of God. Now, um, if you're not familiar with small redneck Baptist culture, okay, older gentlemen that were faithful in the faith, you called them brother so-and-so, okay? I, don't, I know that's kind of maybe new around here, but you called them brother so-and-so. So we called him brother Paul, okay? I know that's kind of weird, right? Okay, we called him brother Paul or BP, right? Well, well, I know, BP, I just talked to him the other day and he's still faithfully teaching the word of God. Well, God used Brother Paul, in my life, because I regularly attended Wednesday nights where he would teach and Sunday school classes and events. But the thing that I caught and saw from Brother Paul was that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he showed that by his character and by the way he handled the scriptures. BP showed me that the Bible is simple enough that even the smallest child should be taught the truths of the scriptures. And yet he also showed me that the Bible is mysterious and powerful enough to study for countless years. He challenged me to be a man of the scriptures. So with that continuous challenge in my high school years, I knew that I wanted to pursue a calling to do the same, to teach God's word faithfully. And so I wanted to go to a college where I could learn more to, uh, in that practice to do so. And so it was my desire to go to Tekoa and to study biblical studies so that I might teach faithfully the word of God. Now, I thought that it was going to be my Bible classes. Year after year after year of Bible classes in college that was going to continue to stir up my love and devotion for God's word. And though those classes were beneficial in my life, when I look back, the agent by which God used to stir up that continual desire for God's word in my life was not a Bible class, but my twin brother, Taylor. You see, when I went to Tekoa to study biblical studies, my brother Taylor went to Covenant College in Lookout Mountain. Go Scots, okay? Um, Taylor and I would meet up on holidays and talk regularly on the phone. While I was in Bible class, Taylor was in his own Bible classes learning the doctrines of grace and learning Reformed theology. And when we would come home, it was not pleasant. We would argue about the scriptures and we would argue about what we were learning in our Bible classes. And so I decided then and there, about my junior year, I was going to research his position and prove him wrong. And I remember one night having a discussion with Taylor about Reformed theology and this radically changed my perspective. He said, Chris, I love you, 
But at the end of the day, I want to give God the maximum amount of glory in my salvation. And I refuse to rob him of such. And man, it rocked me. From there, I, I began to research and to look into pastors and theologians like R.C. Sproul and John Piper and Vody Bauckham. And as I saw and heard their faithful proclamation of God's word in their ministries and, and saw how careful they were with the word of God, I saw that this is what the gospel truly is, that God saves people by his grace and for his glory. The teachings of these pastors focused on the word of God with great diligence and great care. And their faithful preaching has impacted and continues to impact me greatly today. An example of this is as John Piper has taught for years, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied and in him. This is what our text is speaking about today. The satisfaction that is found only in the goodness of God. And so as we consider very briefly Psalm 34, 8, there are a couple of things that I want to point out to you that I hope that you will resonate with you that I have seen in this verse. Number one is that Psalm 34, 8 gives us the answer to the question of God's goodness from the very beginning of creation, the goodness of God has been in question. Think back to the Garden of Eden. Think back to the serpent questioning the very word of God. Did God really say? No, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of the fruit, you will be like him. He's holding back. He doesn't want you to experience the fullness of goodness. I think we all have to contemplate that question. Is God really good? This leads us to further questions like, can I trust him? Can I trust him with everything I have, everything I am? And the one thing that we must realize about this verse in Psalm 34, 8 is that the goodness of God is not contingent upon your circumstances. Notice there is no, hey, taste and see the goodness of God when you have perfect health and, and when you have money in your bank account and, and when you have the ideal family situation. It's not contingent upon that. And at the same time, you don't see a taste and see the Lord is good when you are starving or your parents are fighting or you're struggling with depression. The goodness of God is not contingent upon your circumstances. We are to know the goodness of God in every mountain and in every valley of life. To not do that is to fall into the error of seeking fulfillment outside of the goodness of God. And so students, I ask you this. 
Have you found yourself questioning the goodness of God? Maybe it's the circumstances of life that have brought you to the point of asking that question. In this circumstance, is God really good? I want to encourage you that the goodness of God is not subject to your circumstances. It is only subject to the unchangeable character of a holy and infinite God. The second thing that I see in this verse is that this verse calls us to be active in seeing the goodness of God. Notice that at the very beginning of this verse, you have two commands, taste and see. Those are commands. That's what you're supposed to do. That is an active command. Go and do this. We are not simply to sit back and be passive concerning the goodness of God, but rather we are to seek it out. Can I tell you, this is not natural. It's not natural to see or to seek God's goodness, but rather to place blame during our circumstances. The great lie that we tend to believe is that we can experience the fulfillment of God apart from him. Have you ever realized that with Adam and Eve? Have you ever thought about that Adam and Eve, when they were listening to the serpent, the serpent said, you will not die. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. But you will be like God. Oh, well, that's not, that sounds pretty good too. But at what expense? At what expense are those two good things given at the expense of intimacy with God? You can have these two good things, but not God. That's a lie. That is seeking fulfillment apart from God. It doesn't last. It seems good, but it doesn't last. Adam and Eve wanted those things at the expense of a relationship with God. But how can we test these good things that are from God? How can we test our own hearts about, how can I enjoy the goodness of God, enjoy what he's given me, and yet not place all my hope and security in those things? Have you ever heard the song, Count Your Blessings? I think little kids sing it, right? Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings, see what God has done. You ever heard that, maybe, okay? We are to count our blessings, my family, my health, my job, my possessions. We count those blessings, and this is how we we make sure that our hearts are not resting in those things. We name those things off, and then we ask this question, is my joy in those things, or is it in the one who gives those things? Maybe a, a little harsher question here, if God were to take all those things away, If God were to take my family, my job, and my health away from me, would I still be able to stand and say, the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who finds refuge in him. Because if the answer to that question is no, 
then I have placed my joy in the gifts and not the giver. That is not an easy question to ask. I'm not saying it is, but I think it prepares our hearts appropriately. The last thing that I see in this verse is that the blessing of God's goodness is a refuge despite the circumstances. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's the blessing. You know, when we, when we if I were to ask a person that identifies as a Christian, what is the blessing of God? What does it look like? We would get a wide variety of answers. You know, maybe it's more meaningful relationships. Maybe it's, you know, provision. I don't know, whatever it may be. But the reality is in, in this verse is that the blessing we find in God's goodness is an eternal security found only in the character of God. And like we said before, it's not contingent upon our circumstances. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't it the gospel that the blessing of God is a refuge? That no matter where you are in life, what you're struggling with, what disasters await for you around the corner, what complications or trials there are in your heart, in your mind, at your home, at your job, that there is a refuge found only at the cross. That in the payment of Christ on the cross, we have tasted and seen. We have tasted and seen the goodness of our God and that in his resurrection, we have this security that we will be raised with him. Students, I want to encourage you. We serve a good God. I have seen that in my life. We, we serve a good God. And if you question his goodness, please note the command, the very test here, taste and see his goodness. And ask yourself, what kind of God makes his enemies his children? What kind of God humbles himself to the point of death? What kind of God makes the sinner righteous? What kind of God makes him who knew no sin to be sin for us? The answer, a good one. A good God does that. And we see the fullness of his goodness on the cross with his son dying in our stead. He is good. May we know his goodness May we experience his goodness and in all circumstances, all circumstances of life, may we find refuge in his goodness. Let's pray.
Father, you are good. And Father, I pray that today we would seek out your goodness, see your goodness in our lives, taste and see how good you are. And that no matter the circumstances, we would find great refuge in your goodness. There is no lasting, satisfying goodness apart from you. Though our hearts are, are torn and we have desires to taste goodness apart from you. But Father, would we find that your goodness resonates in our hearts most deeply in that you gave your son. And that when we despair, when we are hopeless, would we look and see our savior standing there making an, making an end to all of our sin. And because he died, our soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. May we see your goodness there in the cross of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.